Our next guest pivoted from a career in investment banking to build her own practice in private wealth. Hear from her about how the practice of financial planning has evolved and how a healthier, holistic approach for herself has nourished what she delivers to clients. I'm Ethan Devitt, and welcome to the 50 Faces podcast, a podcast committed to revealing the richness and diversity of the world of investment by focusing on its people and their stories. I'm joined today by Jennifer Barry, who's an investment advisor at Aaron Wealth Advisors in Chicago. She previously spent over 26 years at City, where she held a series of roles and focused on institutional equity sales most recently. Welcome, Jen. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about our discussion. Likewise. Well, let's start with where you grew up, what you studied, and how you came to enter the world of banking and investment. So I grew up in the western suburbs of Detroit. I spent pretty much my entire childhood in the back of a restaurant. My parents ran restaurants. My grandfather owned them. I saw from a very early age, they were very hardworking and really learned about the value of a dollar and needed to work for what you wanted or needed. So I think that instilled a lot of values in me. But I'll be honest with you, it also made me, when I went to University of Michigan, I was very much focused on doing well and getting a good job with a 401k plan in healthcare, just because I saw how they struggled and and I really wanted to just sort of live a different life in a lot of ways. So I majored in economics at Michigan and became very interested in the markets after a couple of classes I took sort of junior, senior year. And so when I was leaving Michigan, I was really focused on these investment banking analyst programs, which frankly were really the only path to Wall Street that at least I saw at the time. So I ended up taking a job with Solomon Brothers at the time in investment banking. And that was my first foray into uh, the investment world. The first two years being in investment banking, but I had the good fortune of working in this group, High Yield Capital Markets. So I saw a lot of the trading floor and realized, you know, quite quickly into my two years that that's really where I thought I belonged. I loved the sort of just tough nature of it. It was very exciting and people on phones and shouting across the floor. And so that's what drove me to leave investment banking after my first two years and move into sales and trading, where you mentioned in the intro, I spent the next 24 years in institutional equity sales on the sell side. And I worked in Chicago. Well, I worked in Boston first for 12 years, kind of learned the art of institutional sales there. And then in the early part of 09, during the crisis, I moved to Chicago to run City's institutional equity sales office here and rebuild the office. So that was really my entry into the world of investments and in sort of the, the career progression. It's really interesting. I need to go through all my 200 or so podcasts and see how many guests have had origins in the restaurant business, because it is is actually not insignificant. And it's funny, it's probably one of those few areas that is a good preparation for the grind of investment banking, given the, the long hours, the relentlessness of it, and also the entrepreneurial aspect to it. I mean, there's a real, literally a hand to mouth 
aspect of running a restaurant, but equally uh, a lot of risk taking involved. 100% agree. In so many of those things, it's learning the art of client service and how to keep people happy and all those things. It's tough. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. I definitely would never want to open a restaurant. That's one thing I can tell you. Well, I know my future wasn't there since I was never able to hold multiple orders in my head as a waitress. So I had to, I had to look elsewhere. Um, but let's talk about the move then onto the advisory side into private wealth. So pretty big move. What kind of differences? I suppose initially, what kind of, what skills did you bring from your your investment banking work and sales work into this? And how have you found the move? So the move has been wonderful. I made the move, I think I was 48 at the time. And I just felt after what was a great career at City, I worked with tremendous people. I had amazing clients. I worked in essentially two different offices. It was just time for a change. And I felt that it was time for something that could utilize my skill set. So I felt like I had a lot of experience, obviously, in, in investments and in markets. I was very skilled at client relationship management, client service aspects. These are very astute investors, professional money managers, a ton of capital markets work over my years. So on a daily basis, meeting with CEOs and CFOs of companies that we're bringing public or doing secondaries for. And so the key things I feel like I brought over were that investment skill set, the understanding of markets. I had a CFA going back 20 plus years, but really the client side as well. You're dealing before with helping people in their job. And now I've pivoted to helping people in their life. So the focus is certainly different and the things we're talking about are different. But I do think there's so many skills that I was able to bring over and networking and my old job was important. It's even more important in my new job to build not only my client base, but also my arsenal of the best attorneys and CPAs and bankers and, and things of that nature. Because now as an advocate for my client, I'm, I'm going out and trying to find the best or looking and helping them find the best options to solve their issues. So the difference in terms of moving from the sell side to the advisory side, it's to me, it was more of an evolution than this stark pivot, if you will. And I do feel that it's been a great mix of utilizing my old skill set, but also challenging myself and growing and learning a new skill set at the age, the ripe old age of 48. But I think it's been invigorating and I've really enjoyed it. And it's really interesting. I like the way you talk about the shift from advising them on their jobs, your clients, to now advising them on their lives. Because um, what I suppose are the missing skills pieces that you had to to learn and maybe get on the learning curve pretty quickly? I'm thinking maybe around tax, trust, estates, and equally that kind of life coach piece. Yeah, you nailed it on the head. I felt that I, after working in markets and investments, like I said, I had a CFA, I felt there was a lot of knowledge I had, but as I pivoted to work with individuals and families, it was the estate, the tax, retirement assets. And that actually drove me when I first started working for Aaron Well to decide to take the CFP exam, which taking a, a big standardized test at my age is, is not for the faint of heart. And so it was a lot of work. 
but it was very gratifying because I felt that it gave me that formal education that I really wanted in order to be the best advisor I could be for my clients. And then I also will probably get to some of this later as well, but you hit on the nail on the head in terms of the behavioral, the sort of empathy piece. And I also went through a program called Building the Behavioral Advisor by Shaping Wealth. A good friend of mine named Brian Portnoy is the founder of that firm. And I feel like that was a a very important piece as well to give me the tools, the understanding, the language to help people use their wealth as a tool to live a meaningful life, which is really what I focus on in terms of my clients and the type of clients I'm trying to work with. Well, another vote uh, confidence for for Brian, and he's actually going to be a a guest coming up on this podcast. So very exciting to hear that you've been been through that course already. And I think that is key, this meaningful life aspect. What do you see as maybe at the forefront of your clients' minds? I mean, today, here we are, post-COVID, post-2022, do you find that they're concerned about their bank deposits? Do you find that they're concerned about making an impact in some way with their wealth? Is there anything that you, you find issues coming up more than others? I would say there's definitely more of a movement to align your values especially as you're seeing sort of this younger generation get into the phase of their career where they're building their wealth or even, you know, the older generation, but now having older children that have have a voice and have an opinion. And the families we work with are high net worth to ultra high net worth families. So there is a very important aspect here of intergenerational wealth. And so I find a lot of it is Certainly people care about the numbers and returns and the allocations and and things of that nature, but it really is about that client-centric mindset and building those very deep relationships. I sort of consider myself a quarterback of my client's financial life, and it's a holistic approach. So it's not this segmented approach where each pool of your assets is separate and we're going to look at it separate. It really is looking at everything holistically, figuring out what the key issues are. And I'm certainly not speaking just about the investment piece. It's other pieces as well. It's the right estate strategy, the right tax strategy, and and talking about charitable giving strategy and, you know, how you want to approach teaching your children about your wealth, introducing them to your wealth and, and figuring out the right way and the right way to structure their access to things. So, I feel like it's it's more of this empathy and holistic approach. Our firm is is sort of founded on the idea that we are true fiduciaries from our clients. That's where the name Aaron comes from. It was Aaron was Moses's brother and his most trusted advisor. And so we're certainly not a religious organization, but really try to conjure up this image of us as a fiduciary us as client-centric and doing what's right for the client and putting the client's interests ahead of really everything else. So as an advisor, I'm certainly concerned with the economy and interest rates and inflation and, and all those type of things, no doubt. But I do believe that it's that relationship and getting them comfortable. These people have a lot of money, but just because they have a lot of money doesn't mean they know exactly what to do with it and trying to get them away from the idea it's all about the accumulation of riches and focused on the idea that they need to be thinking about their wealth as a tool 
to provide a meaningful and, and happy life. Because at the end of the day, I think that's the most important thing. That's so interesting. I think that holistic sort of systems thinking approach applies to so much markets as well as individual wealth pots. Moving to look at the inclusion, perhaps within the private wealth space, you're a woman in private wealth. I'm sure many of your clients are women. How do you think women have been served to date by the private wealth industry, I suppose? And how is that evolving? So I will say in my old world, I was consistently one of the few women in the room. And I know firms spent a lot of money and effort on DEI initiatives. And, you know, I think there was definitely improvement over my 20, 30 years working for a big bank. But sadly, at the end of the day, it was still lacking. There wasn't quite as much diversity as you would have liked to have seen. And so I guess I had high hopes when I moved over to the private wealth space that this was going to be much different. And if I'm being honest, I don't feel like it is. I feel like it's very similar in a lot of ways. But the irony, of course, is if you look at the statistics, women outlive men. So as I look at the client couples that I work with, chances are I'm going to have a relationship with the female longer than the male. And so for me, it just makes complete sense that you'd want to see more and more women enter this field, appeal to younger women, frankly, is probably as young as in high school and certainly in early years of college to explain what it is we do and how you can help people and the kind of education experience you would need to break into the industry. And in some ways, most importantly, trying to demystify the idea that you can't have a family and have a career. That's something that I always fought against in my old job. It was hard to do it. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is possible if you're able to set boundaries and just kind of be resolute in how you're going to conduct yourself and what you need and don't need. So I do think that things have improved. But I think we have a very long way to go. And I have always felt that as a female who had a lot of male mentors early in my career, and not many female mentors, unfortunately, I always felt very driven to be that mentor for young women. So I have formal and informal mentor relationships over my career. If someone reaches out to me and and asks for to have a chat or to provide advice, I almost always will say yes, because I do feel it's incumbent upon me to help other women succeed. And I want to be an advocate for them and hopefully over time, be part of the solution to making this industry more diverse than it is currently. Those are great reflections, and you're so generous with your time. It's it's remarkable. I suppose just before we move into other reflection questions, I just want to talk a little bit about the industry dynamics, kind of big picture, because having moved from investment banking into private wealth, I made a similar move myself, but from asset management into private wealth, and I was struck by the dynamism and growth in this space. What are your impressions of the yes. growth opportunity here? So that is such a a great observation. I share that. So as I, in my old world, started to think the last couple of years I was there about 
what's the evolution for me? What does an institutional equity sales woman do in the next phase of their career? I was really focused on areas within financial services that were growing and that I felt that I could be in control of my own destiny. And private wealth kept coming up. The RIA space in particular is the independent space is growing. You're seeing a, a big shift from big banks to the independent space, the number of advisors, the number of assets. And so I just felt very strongly that that was an area I needed to really focus on. I mean, I definitely felt I could have worked in private wealth at a big bank or the bank I was at. But after being in a big firm for a long time, I wanted to experience something a little bit more entrepreneurial. The firm, when I, Aaron Wealth, when I joined, they were a couple years into their life. And the idea that I could come in and be a part of the success and be there at the ground floor to help grow the firm was so enticing to me. So I feel like Aaron is the perfect micro example of the trends that are going on. And I think it's a desire in a lot of ways for clients to really get that holistic advice from a true fiduciary and transparency of pricing and sort of everything else. I think that's part of the growth story. And I'm, I'm really excited to be at a firm that is squarely in the middle of that. And just two things, I weren't scripted, but just to ask your thoughts on, and obviously this is in your own personal capacity, you're making these observations. What is around tech? And I suppose what tech means for private wealth going forward, the importance of, of I suppose, our tech stack. And second is something I know Brian Fortney is focusing a lot on, which is AI and how AI may ultimately, I suppose, intersect with our interactions with clients, maybe even in the high stakes interactions, maybe where we help them think about their behavior. How do you see those two areas evolving? So I think having come from a large bank that was essentially a cobbling together of many, many acquisitions over time, that was a key source of frustration for myself and, and frankly, most of my colleagues where the tech was just not what it needed to be and give them a lot of credit. They had a big tech budget and, and they certainly were looking to make improvements, but it was always felt like a little behind where it needed to be. And so it was refreshing when I got to Aaron and because the firm, it was formed in, in 2018, our founder really was focused very much on certain aspects, but the idea that we wanted to build a firm on the latest technology, obviously safety and security of information is at the top of the list of importance, just given the clients that we deal with and keeping everything under lock and key. So it's wonderful to be at a place where we're nimble enough that we can adopt technology. We're always out there looking, like we're always out there looking for the best investment options or vehicles or products or managers. It's the same thing with the tech stack. And whether it's that safety and security piece, how we communicate with our clients, to the kind of reporting interface and how they're able to access that. All of those things are are so, so important. And I think it will just obviously continue to be very, very important. In terms of AI, I'll be honest. I mean, obviously it's top of mind. It's in the newspaper every day. Can't get away from it. 
I don't think I can give you a real educated answer quite yet on how we're thinking about utilizing that at this point with our clients. The one thing I will say about our firm is we are very focused on a select number of families. So each advisor is only ever able to work with about 30 families. And that's by design because everything is customized and personalized. So at some point, I think AI will play a role. But I think right now, the way that we're structured and the way at least I am interfacing with my clients and building my book is that real personal touch, that development of a very deep relationship. And so I'm not utilizing AI in any of that capacity quite yet, but I'm excited to see how we can incorporate that. Moving on to some personal reflections. So you mentioned having many mentors and most of them being men, probably by necessity, given there weren't many senior women at the time. Were there any one or two people, whether within the professional setting or not, that had a particular influence on your careers so far? Well, I would say even going back before my career, but I definitely think this helped propel me into my career was I was a very serious athlete as a kid. And when I got to high school, I played three sports, but I was very focused on volleyball. That was my favorite sport. And I had a coach who was a tough guy. He was a really tough guy. Coach DeBelso, that we still talk to this day. And I remember I tried out for the team and He had me hit five, spike five balls, and I hit all five of them into the net. And so I walked away thinking like, oh, geez, I'd be lucky if I make JV. And lo and behold, he puts me on the varsity team because he told me years later, he just saw like such drive and such tenacity. And he just was, he wanted to see where he could, he could take me. And it ended up being a four year, just incredible experience for me. And there's so many lessons I learned from him and from that sport and that team that I carry with me to this day. And I really think it transformed who I was so that when I left high school, I went to, I went to Michigan. I actually played volleyball for one year at Michigan before I just decided to to hang up my cleats, if you will. But I think sports in general was so pivotal for me. So I'd say number one, that experience And then, you know, number two, when I decided to make that switch from investment banking to sales and trading, I was offered two jobs. I was offered a job in New York where I was and offered a job in Boston. And being from Michigan, not really having any allegiance to New York and New York was wonderful for the three years I lived there, but I was sort of ready for a change. And so I took the job in Boston, having been there one time. And I ended up working for a gentleman named Mike Heffernan who ran the Boston office for Solomon and then became Solomon with Barney and City for many, many years. And I really learned the craft of institutional sales from him. And the hallmark of his career was much like mine in that he had incredibly deep relationships with his clients. He really understood their jobs, their mandates, what they wanted from the street versus what the street thought they wanted. And I'll never be able to repay him in terms of what he taught me, the opportunities he gave me. I mean, we're still friends to this day. And my birthday was the other day. He texted me. He's moved on to a career in government, but he was really pivotal for me and teaching me and teaching me the right way. And I'm eternally grateful to him. And 
when I told him that I really would like to move to Chicago, I think he was disappointed. I think he felt I was going to be at some point, maybe even taking over the, the Boston office or at least at, in the office for quite some time. But he knew that it was important for me to get back to the Midwest and be closer to my family. And again, to his credit, he helped make that happen and was able to get me to Chicago in a management role. And I really, really thank him for that. It made such a difference in, in my career. I love that. Uh, just like the restaurant story, the sports coach story is something that is so common. And it's so wonderful because these coaches really are quite special to have that lasting impression. And equally, playing sport at a high level is so formative. So thank you for sharing that. Last question is around any keywords of wisdom, advice, creed or motto that you have picked up over the years and live by now? So I will say there was a situation that came about sort of the middle of 19. Working in an institutional sales capacity is, is not an easy job. It's, it's very early mornings. It's long hours. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of client entertainment. And I'll just be honest with you, I got very unhealthy. And I had a primary care doctor who I went in and saw in the summer of 19. And honestly, she took a look at me and she said, I don't mean to scare you, but if you don't make some changes, you might not see your kids grow up. And that really set me upon a really different course in my life. So I'd say back to your other question. I mean, she really made such an impact in my life. And and at that point in time, I just realized that after all these years of working hard and, and traveling and client meetings and really just focused on being successful and getting promoted and making more money, I sort of stepped back and felt like, well, what is it all about? What is it all for? What am I doing here? And if God forbid something were to happen to me because of my the shape I was in and I was no longer here to see my kids grow up and to be their mother and to be with my husband and my family then what's the point of, of everything else? So in terms of advice or creed or motto, I tell younger people that I meet, as much as I think that investments and the markets and all these things are important, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And so I am very focused now on taking care of myself, making sure that I'm as healthy as I can be, I changed a tremendous amount about my eating. I ultimately lost over 90 pounds. You know, I've always was always an athlete and always sort of worked out here and there, but like really have just embraced exercise, not as a means to lose weight, but really as a means to manage my stress and to deal with mental health type of issues and as an escape. So it is just part of my daily thought process. I can't I can't say I work out every single day, but many weeks it's five or six times a week, early in the morning, I get up and, and get at it. And so it's really about how you're going to treat yourself and putting yourself first and making sure there's balance, which really was what compelled me to pivot from my old job to my new job, because I just have such a higher level of control over my daily life and my schedule and how I'm going to do things. And, and I really, really appreciate that so much. So it really is about keeping your health. It's too hard to get back. And this kind of is a little bit of a, a tangential, but treating yourself well and really not beating yourself up and giving yourself time to recover and 
you know, I've always had this motto. My parents always kind of taught me treat others as you want to be treated. And I've always carried that through my life in terms of being kind and thoughtful and, and really sort of, I get my love language, I think is giving to others. And a lot of people want to do that, but then they forget to give to themselves. So I think that for me has been the real huge change over the last few years. And I'm not perfect. I've got lots of things I want to do and lots of changes I want to make. But when I'm doing all the things that make me happy, it just feels so good. It creates a solid foundation from which I can go out into the world and do my work and make my connections and build my book and help grow this company. For me, it's all interconnected. It is all interconnected. And I can't think of a better place to end this podcast. Thank you so much, Jen. It's been a, a treat to listen to you. We were introduced thanks to Brian Portnoy. It was a great introduction. Your warmth, your breath are just so inspirational. And as someone who's made a similar move to myself, you are truly a role model for me in the industry. So thank you for the work you're doing and keep up the good work. Thanks for sharing your insights here. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here and I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm Ethan Devitt. Thank you for listening to the 50 Faces podcast. If you liked what you heard and would like to tune in to hear more inspiring investors and their individual stories, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Aaron Wealth Advisors LLC is registered as an investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Aaron Wealth Advisors LLC only transacts business in states where it is properly registered or is excluded or exempted from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. This material is not intended to be a recommendation or investment device, does not constitute a solicitation to buy or sell securities, and is not provided in a fiduciary capacity. The information provided does not take into account the specific objectives or circumstances of any particular investor or suggest any specific course of action. Investment decisions should be made based on an investor's objectives and circumstances and in consultation with his or her advisors.